four cubs across the road. I don't know if you saw that video or not, but it's an encouraging uh, and a really relatable video because as soon as she gets one across and goes back for the next one, the, the one she got across goes back across the road again and goes back with the others, and it's a real frustrating thing, but every parent can relate to those challenges that life throws at us with our kids especially. We've been talking about problems and messes and how God kind of helps us find our way through those. And we, we really talked about last week how that sometimes messes are so big, we, we can only solve it with God's help. And we're going to continue on that idea of how we move forward and how we begin again today. And I want us to look at this idea a little farther because last week we talked a lot about problems uh, that, are, that might be the result of our own actions, our own fault. But that's not the only kind of problem that we face. In fact, a lot of us face difficulties and problems that had nothing to do with us. We didn't create it, but we inherited it. Uh, there was a song that was very popular in the 1980s that had this line in it. It said, we didn't start the fire. We, tried we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. And it characterized a, an attitude that said, man, you people have left us a mess in the world, and we got to deal with it now. And so it, it shared something that we sometimes feel about about problems and messes, and that is frustration. Frustration. Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy. He says, I feel like I'm poured out, like a drink offering. I feel empty. I feel drained. I got nothing left to give. And man, problems and difficulties can make us feel poured out and empty. I hope that that's not what you feel today, but, but maybe it is. Maybe you're feeling that you've given the last measure, the last drop. You have nothing left to give. It can be overwhelming because Jesus once said that every single day has enough trouble of its own. And so as if yesterday's problems weren't enough, there's some new problems that will creep in today. I don't mean to give you despair on Mother's Day, but it's a reality. We struggle with, there are challenges that we have to face, we have to begin to face, to move through and to overcome. And there are some that we inherit and some that will be new to us. Well, there's a story in the Bible about three widows that I really like. It's a story about how they have to face some things that had nothing to do with them. They didn't cause the problem, but they sure did have to, to deal with it. And I'd like us to take a look at this passage today because it really tells the story of Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, and it highlights the frustration we feel when life seems to deal us an unfair hand. It wasn't their fault that they had all been widowed. Their husbands had died. But they certainly felt the sting of death, of loss. They had to figure out, how do I begin again? How do we move forward? They were asking the question, now what are we going to do? Listen to their story. In the days when the judges ruled, now, to give this a context, we're going to have to go back about 35 to 3,700 years ago, <laughs> a while back is when we're talking about. That's when this story occurred. So it's got some, it's what they say today, right? The youths all say, it's been a minute. It's been a minute or two. It's back there. And there was a famine that came on the land. So they're in uh, the days of the judges. There's a horrible famine in the land. It says, so a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. It's a really righteous name. It means God is my king. 
His wife's name was Naomi, and her name means the pleasant one. What a nice guy, a God-fearing man and a wife who's always pleasant. At least that's how it sounded. The names of their sons, however, are interesting. One of their sons' names was Malan, and his name translated meant the sick one. So I don't know if he was a colicky baby or if he was sick as soon as he was born, but that's the name he got. And you might think, well, his brother would get a better name, but his brother's name is even worse. His brother's name is Killian, and that's the, that name means the one who is consumed. And we think that maybe he had like a, a, a rash or a birth defect, something that seemed to take over a part of his body, made him think he was consumed by something at his birth. We don't know for sure. Now, they were Ephrathites, that is, they were residents, long-term residents of Bethlehem and uh, in Judah, and they had gone to Moab and lived there. Now, Moab was an interesting place. Sometimes Moab was at peace with Israel, sometimes at war with Israel. The Moabites had been protected by God when the promised land was being taken. God would not let the Israelites take Moab because it was the inheritance that God gave to Lot, Abraham's nephew Lot. And so they'd had some protected status, and yet they'd still turned against the Israelites in the, in the centuries after that. And so this was, a, it was an interesting place. Uh, in our case, it would be like going to Germany or going to Japan to live. It's a place that, that we've had good relationships with and might have a good relationship with now, but in the past, maybe not so good. That's what Moab was like. So that's where they are. The key is, they're not at home with their, with their extended family. They're alone in a foreign land. Now, while they were there, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. So she was in a foreign place now without her husband, but she was left with her two sons. And her sons married Moabite women, one named Orpah, which her name is an interesting one, right? Orpah means the scruff of the neck. Like, like that's what it's like, like a... Like a um, cat that gets her kittens by the scruff of the neck. That's, that was her name. I don't know much more about her than that. That's just what they called her. And, and then there's a second son who married a woman named Ruth. And translated Ruth's name just means friend. So it's interesting the names in this story. They play into the text, I think, in a way. They lived there, Naomi and her two sons and daughter-in-laws, for 10 years. But after about 10 years, both Malan and Killian, her sons, also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. That's not a good place to be in a world. Now, don't shoot me for this, but, you know, realize that women in most of the countries of the world have only had the right to vote for about 200 years or less. In our own country, less than 200 years. So... Going back 3,500, 3,700 years, realize women didn't have many rights in the world. It was a pretty cruel place for women. It just was. I'm not saying it's right. The Bible doesn't tell us these things to say this is prescriptive for how we should live. It's just telling us this is how it was. This is how it was. And so for Naomi and her daughters, uh, daughter-in-laws to be in a foreign country without a husband because women weren't allowed to own property... They weren't allowed to have certain rights. It was dangerous. It was treacherous. And they had no one to protect them in a world that was very abusive to women. So it was a dangerous situation. We could call it a mess, a problem. They didn't create it. 
for they sure found themselves in it. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your own homes, to your mother's homes. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Why does she want them to have another husband? Because it's, it's helpful to them. It protects them. It gives them more rights and more standing, and she wants that for her daughter-in-laws. Then she kissed them both goodbye, and they all wept aloud. But her daughter-in-law said to her, We will not go back. We will go with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home. I'm too old to have another husband. Some of you could relate to that. I don't know. Maybe you feel that sometimes. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up so you could marry them? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you. Why more bitter? Because she doesn't see herself having many prospects or much hope. But they're young, they're beautiful, maybe they could still find a husband that would protect them in a world that has little regard for single women. She adds to that, the Lord's hand has turned against me. Sometimes when we face a big mess, it feels that way. It feels like God's abandoned us, or he's against us, or he wouldn't have let this horrible tragedy happen in my life. In this case, the death of sons, the death of a husband, that's a tragedy. She feels like this is, God's against me. (laughs) Don't let it be against you, but he's against me. He's not going to help me. Look what he's given me. And when she said that, then they wept even more. Think about that for a moment. What's your hope? What hope do you have left if you're Sons, your husband are gone in that world, and now you think even God has abandoned you? No wonder they wept. I'd weep. You'd weep if we felt that way. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, and Orpah returned towards home. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people, her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you. We read a little farther on that when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. Now when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? I mean, it's been over 10 years since they've seen her. Can this be you, Naomi? Are you back? And, And they were excited to see her. She was someone who had meant something to her community. They had loved her. So they said, it's Naomi, but when they call out to her, Naomi, Naomi says this, don't call me that. Don't you dare call me Naomi. I don't want to be called pleasant one. There's nothing pleasant about my life. No, you will call me Mara. You will call me bitter. That's what my name means. You'll call me bitter. Because the Almighty himself has made my life bitter. Oh, I went away from you full, 
but the Lord has brought me back empty. So why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord, the Almighty, has brought misfortune upon me. I know that there are some who have felt that same feeling. I hope that's not what you're feeling today, but it might be. Let me just offer this word if you feel like Naomi was feeling today. First of all, while your situation may seem impossible, overwhelming, or hopeless, it doesn't mean that your situation actually is hopeless. Remember what we said last week. God can do things we cannot do. Also, hear this word from the Lord. The first word spoken to Joshua. And Joshua, who was speaking with the people, said, Be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And Isaiah, speaking a word from the Lord, says, Don't fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. But sometimes, in the moment, even knowing those things, it's really difficult to see the way forward. We acknowledged in the last session that some messes are so big, so impossible, only God can fix them. It's certainly true. But also, there are other times in moments of tragedy and despair where it's really hard to see how God is working. Naomi couldn't see it. It's hard to figure out how we go forward. It's, it's, it's difficult. And in those moments, remember something Jesus said in John 5, 17. It's a very important statement and one we often look, look over and overlook. Jesus said, my father is always at work. And I, too, am working. <laughs> you have God, you have Jesus on your team. He is always at work. He never sleeps. He never tires. He continues to work. Even when you don't see him, as the song says, he's working. He's working. So let's see how God works in the story of Naomi and of Ruth. In chapter 2, we read these words. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, same family, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields. Let me pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. One of the things that God had done when he gave the law back in Leviticus was God had said, it's important that you allow the, the poor to come into your fields after the harvesters have moved through there. And if there's any grain that's left, let them have it. Don't run them off from your field. Let them have it to eat. And after the poor have gleaned what they could get, could get that was left over, then, then leave the rest for the animals. God was pro providing for his creation for everyone. And Ruth has heard about this custom, that you're allowed to go follow behind the workers and pick up the grain that they miss as they're harvesting the wheat. And so she says, I want to go and do that. And so it says that Ruth Moabite goes to the field, and as she went out, she entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. Now, there's a key phrase. These next four words are huge to the story. 
In the NIV it says, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech, as it turned out. Now, the Hebrew Tanakh translation, which is the, is the, the Hebrew text translated for the Jewish culture of its day, translated that phrase this way. It says, as, as she went out, she came and she gleaned in a field behind the reapers. And it says, as luck would have it. <laughs> as luck would have it. The King James says, she hap was working on Boaz's field. The English Standard Version says, she happened to come to. And uh, the TNK version says, her chance was to come to the field of Boaz. Catch that, because what the author of Ruth initially seems to attribute to luck or to chance or to happenstance turns out to be nothing less than the hand of God moving in their story. It's not luck at all. It's God working. But we don't always see that. They didn't see it. They didn't realize that God's plan was unfolding in the midst of the tragedy. And it's hard to see. Let's be real honest. It's hard to see how God is working sometimes. But that doesn't mean he's not working. There are so many stories in the Bible that, that make this exact same case. I'm not going to read you the whole story of Joseph. If you want to read that story, read Genesis 37 through 50. But remember the end of Joseph's story. That after Joseph has been beaten by his brothers, thrown into a well, nearly abandoned, then remembered, then sold as a slave to Egypt, and they tell his father that he's dead and he's forgotten for the next two decades of his life or more, he's reunited with his brothers. And he tells them the most incredible thing about God and what God is doing. And he says to them, listen, brothers, I know you intended to harm me, but listen, God intended it for good. All that horrible stuff I had to go through, and it was horrible, but God was going to bring something really good about through that. So it was actually, and this is really hard to take, it was actually a really good thing that I ended up where I am. God's hand was in it. Now, I know that's an ugly thing to think that sometimes God allows us to go through something really horrible so he can get us where he wants us to be. That is the story for Joseph. That might not be the story for us. But the point I want you to get is that God was working. In fact, Joseph says, listen, God did this so that he could accomplish great things, the saving of many lives. That's why God let me go through those things, so I could save, and he did. You realize that Joseph saved the lives probably of millions of people, both Egyptians and the 70 members that were a part of his family. He saved many lives. And God is definitely working a similar way in the story of Ruth and Naomi. So let me introduce you to that other character you've been hearing about, the old farmer, the godly, hardworking man who honors tradition. He honors his family. He owns a lot of land. Oh, yeah, and just as an aside, he's also single. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. He comes into the story. He greeted the harvesters. And he said, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, and ladies, don't hate me for this, it's 3,700 years ago, and I didn't write this, okay? <laughs> but this is what he says. Who does that young woman belong to? Now, I know that's offensive, because you're more than property. But that is how women were viewed in that time. 
And so the overseer said, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. And she asked us, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Why that phrase? It's actually a way of him saying, she's outworked all of us. <laughs> like, they've all taken their breaks at the scheduled times, but she's barely taken a break. She's worked in earnest because she's trying to find a way to survive. And you'll work a little harder when your life depends on it. So Boaz goes over and he talks to Ruth. And he's going to use a phrase, my daughter, because he has no, at this moment, he has no romantic intentions at all. He is at least 20 years older than her. So if you have one of those, you know, May, September romances going, you have this story in the Bible to back you up, right? Older and younger. Like, he's an old, old man compared to her. He's the same age as Naomi. He's a family member of her husband, Elimelech, uh, probably either 10 years older or 10 years younger, but probably in that, that time span. So he doesn't look at her as a potential wife. He calls her, he says, my daughter, listen to me. He, he sees her initially kind of in a, in a fatherly role. I'm going to take care of my family. And so he says, don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. Now I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. Why do you have to do that? Because it was a treacherous time. And the women that were single were in a dangerous space. Whenever you're thirsty, go. You get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this, Ruth bowed with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you even notice me? I'm a foreigner. But Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law, since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland, and you came to live with a people you did not know before. Why was this important? Naomi trying to get back home alone would have been a very risky proposition. But Ruth had accompanied her on the trip. And two are able to do some things that one can't do by themselves. And Boaz is appreciative of this fact. You helped my friend, probably someone he had grown up with. You helped my friend get home. I'm thankful to you for that, Ruth. Thank you. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take rescue. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have standing, even the standing of one of your servants. Now, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come on over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. See, they even like to have sauces for their breads, breadsticks and cheese or whatever. They did it with wine and vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain, a delicacy. She ate all that she wanted she had some left over, and she actually puts it into a pocket in her dress. That's extra, but we learn about that later. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. This afternoon, do this. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her, and even pull out some of the stalks from your bundles and leave them behind for her, like stalks full of grain. Leave her some extra so she'll have an abundance. 
And as she picks them up, don't rebuke her. So, she, so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. That's about two-thirds of a bushel. She carried it back to town. And her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. And Ruth also brought out the, and gave to her the leftover roasted grain she had been given. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you go to work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her all about the one at whose place she had been working. And she said, The man's name is Boaz. And Naomi then says something, maybe a moment of, of revelation. She says, right, when she said, The Lord's abandoned me. What she say now? Lord, bless me. <laughs> wow, you ended up in Boaz's field? Like, he's my family. And Ruth goes on, she says, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the, God has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. For this man is our close relative. Then Ruth and Moab, the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all of my grain." And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley harvest and the wheat harvest was finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Naomi thought that her story was just her story. She didn't realize something that I need for you to realize today. Your story is a part of a much, much bigger story. It is a story that is actually being authored by God himself. The Hebrew writer said it this way, that God is the author, God is the finisher of our faith and of the story of our lives. God is the author. He's an architect. He's working behind the scenes. That's the God that we serve. Paul said to the Colossians, God is the one who ultimately holds our, our lives together. He holds all things together. In fact, as we do our part in trusting God and following Jesus, he actually joins us to accomplish his purpose. He actually joins us. Remember what he was called when he came here? He's Emmanuel, God with us, not us alone. Now, you're wondering why I gave you something from the diaper genie or from the trash heap. That's not what this is. And moms, right now, I need for all the moms to make sure they have one. If you have an extra, you can give it to the dad or a kid. But all moms and all of you who are here, if you got one, it's fine. I need to just take that right now and do this. Go ahead. All right. It's going to be colorful in here in a minute. All right, now take one end. It doesn't matter which one. Just kind of twist it up a little bit like this, and then you're just going to tie a simple knot right in the end. You got it? Just a simple knot in the end. All right. Isaac, I'm going to need you in a minute. Come on up here. Yeah, you. You're the one. All right, now this next part, I'm not trying to be uh, untoward here or anything, but... You're going to kind of feed this open end over your arm like you were getting ready to go birth a cow or something, okay? Just, just get ready here. Watch your fingernails so you don't put a hole in this thing and pull it all the way to the end. Go ahead. Hand in there just like this. The other end, keep the knot on that end. Let's get to this point. When you get this far, hold up your hand. All right, we're getting there. Keep working at it. 
All right, everybody paying close attention. I know you got this thing, but what in the world is the preacher doing? This is ridiculous. You have no idea. All right, you ready? Now do this. Take, take this knot hand and push it into your own fist and make a fist around it. Now watch the trick. Pull it through. Like that. All right. Come on up, Isaac. Now, some of you have seen me use this before a long time ago to uh, rebuke some young men that needed a rebuking. But here we go, right? So if I wanted you to blow this up, you would say, are you crazy? How many breaths would it take? You know, I don't know. 50 breaths? 60 breaths? 100 breaths? Well, the truth is that each of you can blow this thing up in one or two breaths, which that sounds ridiculous. To do that, you have to do first, make a square with your fingers like this, and you all have to stand up now with your bag. Stand up. Stand up. Find another person who doesn't have a Bernoulli bag and have them hold the other end. All right? Now follow me here. Make that square. This next part's really important. Do not put your face like this. All right? You need to be about four to six inches away, and you're going to take one single breath. I'll, I'll demonstrate, and then you do it. One breath, like you're blowing it right down the middle of that tube, and then you're going to snatch it up. It'll be full. Watch. Here we go. Square, six inches away, one breath. All right, there we go. So you do that now. You ready? Go. Make sure you snatch it up quick. Blow and snatch it up quick. Nope. It's got to be straight, Robin. You got to be straight at it. You got to be straight. Six inches away. All right. I know you can do this. Who got one done? I see one of them. There we go. We're getting there. Then remember, you got to blow and snatch it up fast. All right. If you didn't get it or you did, that's okay. Take it. Roll it up. You can practice at home. Here we go. Here, Isaac. Take that one again. Now, before I tell you why that works and how it works, I need to give this, this is the thing, right? First, I know that some of you have been, I, you don't regularly, frequently these establishments, but there are places that are called bars, and there's something called the bar bet, where people do incredible things for money. Do not go to the bar and bet someone, I can blow this up in one breath, okay? I don't want you making money at the bar this week that week, but I, I'm willing for you to do one thing today. A lot of you will see your grandkids today, or your kids will be home. And so um, you just hand them the bag and you say, I bet I can fill this bag faster than you can. And you see how many breaths, don't tell them anything, see how many it takes, they'll like turn blue, they'll be about ready to die. And then after that happens, you say, listen, how about this, if I can blow this up in one breath, you'll go out and clean up all of the sticks in my yard today, okay? And then you just lay it on them, right? It's a great way to you know, crush them and that's okay because they're kids and you're, you're your kids, so it's okay. Tony Straw, <laughs> picking up sticks. I'm not even going to grace that. Here we go. Why does this thing work? This is an incredible thing. The reason that that works is actually, is we call, the person who observed it is a, a man named, a scientist named Bernoulli. And what he discovered is something that God put into effect in the universe. And this will blow your mind. God made the universe so the elements and, and things that are in the universe actually will cooperate with us. 
Now that seems counterintuitive because like we've been in the sun on a hot day and, and, and it wears us down and we think the elements are against us, but check it out. There's a principle that says when you, when you force air to move, God made the universe so the air that's around it will follow it. It's attracted to it. The air that's around, out here, all around us, is attracted to your breath. So when you blow into that tube, other air is attracted to your breath and goes in the tube with it. It's pretty amazing. God made a world where, where he's cooperating with us. He's bringing unseen forces to bear. You can't see the other air coming in there, but you know it's happening when you see that tube blow up. That's how God made our world. And I just want you to get something, that in your problem, you can't always see what God is doing. But God is moving with you to do things that you can't even believe are possible. Because like some of you have never seen them before, there's no way you can blow up one breath. But you can. And listen to me, in your problems sometimes, and in the mess, it does seem impossible. And it would be if it was only up to us. But God has made a universe that cooperates with us, and God cooperates with us. It's amazing. It illustrates what God does for us when we face a mess that seems impossible. As we do our part, God does the bigger part, the impossible part, and incredible things happen. If there is a circumstance this morning in your life where you are counting on God to join you in the work of recovery or of rebuilding, then remember that God is also at work in you to will and to act so that you can fulfill his good purposes. Trust this. Trust that in the end, God's will will prevail. Listen to the end of the story. It ends this way. It tells us that Boaz, chapter 4, verse 13, Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife. He made love to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has left, not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms, cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi, you have a son. And they named him Obed. Remember I said that your story is a part of a bigger story? Obed became the father of a man named Jesse. And Jesse became the father of a man named David, who would become a giant killer and a king and do great things. And God knew what David was going to do on the day that Ruth's husband died in a foreign land. And all Ruth thought is, my life is ruined. All Naomi thought is, God's against us. And God was like, man, you've got no idea. The best chapter of your story is not even close to coming true yet. But trust me, I am in the story. You will begin again, and I will be with you. And there are some of us here today who need to hear those words. God wants to be with you and help you begin again. If you have a decision to make, would you make it right now as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation?
Ten.